0: Holy Word to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, 7, 16 through chapter 8 and verse 3, Jeremiah 7, 16 through 8, 3. As for you, do not pray for this people or lift up a cry or prayer for them and do not intercede with me. For I will not hear you. Do you not see what they are doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? The children gather wood, the fathers kindle fire, and the women need dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other gods to provoke me to anger. Is it I whom they provoke, declares Yahweh? Is it not themselves to their own shame? Therefore, thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, my anger and my wrath will be poured out on this place, upon man and beast, upon trees of the field and the fruit of the ground. It will burn and not be quenched. Thus says Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel, Add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. For in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices, but this command I gave them Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. But they did not obey or incline their ear, but walked in their own counsels and the stubbornness of their evil hearts, and went backward and not forward. From the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them day after day. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. So you shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them but they will not answer you. And you shall say to them, this is the nation that did not obey the voice of Yahweh their God, and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise a lamentation on the bare heights, for Yahweh has rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. For the sons of Judah have done evil in my sight, declares Yahweh. They have set their detestable things in the house that is called by my name to defile it. And they have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares Yahweh, when it will no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. For they will bury in Topheth, because there is no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air, and for the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. And I will silence in the cities of Judah, and in the streets of Jerusalem, the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste." At that time, declares Yahweh, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its officials, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall be brought out of their tombs. And they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven which they have loved and served, which they have gone after, which they have sought and worshipped. And they they shall not be gathered or buried. They shall be as dung on the surface of the ground, Death shall be preferred to life by all the remnant that remains of this evil family in all the places where I have driven them, declares Yahweh of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, unless In grace, you act. We cannot hear. So in mercy, we ask that you speak and that you open our ears, that we would walk in your ways, that we would follow your Christ. That we would be faithful in covenant love to you. In Christ's name I ask this. Amen. Judah worships the true God falsely. Thinking this gives her a pass to worship false gods truly. She thinks she can flirt and fornicate with the attractive pagan gods. Because... She buys nice things for God. Things like frankincense from Sheba or sweet cane from a distant land, chapter 6, verse 20. She doesn't trust in God's words such that she amends her ways. She trusts in deceitful words so that she persists in her wickedness. In short, her problem is that she does not listen. Listen. Because nothing good gets in her ears, nothing good comes out of her mouth. Judah does not listen to her husband, and she thinks she offsets this by saying sweet things, offering up sacrifices and such. But true worship is oral before it is oral. God speaks, we respond. We must hear Before we speak, if God does not, if we do not hear, we cannot worship. If we do not hear, our worship is only some hypocritical display of idolatry and self glory seeking. The American evangelical church is long on mouth and short on ear. This is why we sing so much and preach so little. Why is it that we can stand to sing song after song, but we cannot sit still to listen? The answer, again, is idolatry. We'd rather present God with a sacrifice from our lips than hear about the sacrifice of His Son. The judgment of Judah's hypocritical worship is still the focus of our text this morning. But now, listening and speaking, not hearing, are going to be themes that bring it out. First, Jeremiah is told not to pray for this people. You notice how it said five times times the very same thing, don't pray, don't lift up a cry, a prayer, don't intercede, God will not hear. Because Judah does not hear, God will not hear. You remember Moses interceding for Israel in Exodus 32 and 33? The people had sinned that great sin and making an idol from the gold, That was the spoil of Yahweh's victories. They had seen His wonders. His wonders of judgment and salvation and providence. They've seen the Nile turned to blood. The deliverance by the blood of the Lamb. The manna in the wilderness. And while God is speaking from the fire. To His servant Moses in their very presence. They build this idol and Sin against God, and Moses intercedes for them. They've sinned a great sin. Though Moses was angry with them, you remember tossing the the tablets, he intercedes for them. He persists in his prayers for them, such that God says, I will go with them. But here, he instructs Jeremiah, do not pray for this people. See how startling these words is? How hopeless must be the lot of those that the God of mercy and compassion and patience and long-suffering instructs His choicest servant not to pray for them. Jesus taught... His disciples to pray for those who abuse you. Luke six twenty eight. Paul instructs us that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings are to be made for all people. First Timothy two. But here, the God of mercy tells his servant Jeremiah not to pray for this people. The shortcoming isn't in God. It's not to be found in Jeremiah either. The issue is Judah. Don't pray for them. Why does he say he will not hear? The sensory language continues, but instead of hearing, we're called, verse 17, to see. The implication is, if you see what they're doing, you'll realize why you should not pray for them. Do you see what they're doing in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? What is it that they're doing? What is so abominable family worship. The children gather wood. The fathers kindle fire. The women bake or knead dough. All of this to bake cakes for the queen of heaven. Deuteronomy 6, we find instruction concerning family worship and how it should be done. And it is coming on the hills of the most well-known command in all of the Old Testament. And it's striking how that command is introduced in light of this passage. Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, hear! Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one, you shall worship Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then he tells them, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Here's the thing, family worship simply is. It's a matter of what. It is and it's a matter of what. What do you draw your children's attention to whenever you sit, walk, lie, and rise? To run with the metaphor, what wood your children are gathering tells you what fire you're kindling, what bread you're baking. Do your children see you worship? They most certainly do. It's a question of what do they see you worship? Is it Yahweh? Again, those of you who do worship Yahweh, though your children may not have the fire, they may not be regenerate. They may not have the fire. Teach them to gather the sticks from which God kindles that fire. Lead them to worship Yahweh. It doesn't matter if you go to some place and you all spread your equal ways. The the question is not are are you sending them somewhere where Yahweh is worshipped. Do they see you worship Yahweh? Do they see you loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might? And if they don't see that, do you see what you are doing? What is your family worshipping? Who is this queen of heaven? There are a variety of answers, but they all rhyme. They're harmonious. They're multiple faces of the same goddess. Most likely, specifically, Asterith, the Mesopotamian goddess, is in view here by this title. But the Hellenized version of her name is Astarte, but the Greeks referred to the same god, really, as Aphrodite. She's known as Ishtar by the Babylonian. She is the corresponding god to the Canaanite Asherah that we've seen mentioned so often already, and almost all of these deities were associated directly, if not by being associated with the, one another, they're associated with Venus. She's still worshipped today. Her lustful images surround us at every corner, demanding that we fall prostrate and worship her, adore her. There are so many that want to, we were made in the image of God to image forth God. There are so many that are wanting to image forth this goddess still today, she still worshipped. And there are those obvious images of Venus, which we cannot mistake, We, we don't miss them, but there are some more subtle and deceitful versions such as the cult of modern feminism, which tries to deify the feminine. It's it's why they're so zealous to eradicate the patriarchy. They want to deify the feminine. It's the sin of Eve all over again in the garden. The problem isn't the feminine. As one author put it, like so many other similar words, the poison is in the ism. Feminism, it's as much a sin to worship man as it is woman, but currently it is the cult of Ashtoreth that's very popular today. Neither Venus nor Mars are the sun. And whenever we try to make either one of them central, darkness and chaos will naturally unfold. See, this is why whenever you provoke the sun, you provoke yourself. God says, they do this. They, they do this for the queen of heaven and they pour out drink offerings to these other gods, verse 18, to provoke me. And then he asks, is it I whom they provoke? Now certainly we're going to see. He is provoked to anger, but the sense is, they do this to spite me. They do this as if it's going to harm me. They try to provoke me, as it were, to jealousy so that I act in a certain way. Is it I whom they provoke? It's themselves unto shame. Whenever Venus tries to displace the sun, the sun doesn't budge. Venus is burned. If you think by your false worship, you've somehow made God jealous, such that now you can manipulate him, this is not a high school romance. You can't play God that way. It won't work. He is provoked. He is jealous. But He's not that kind of provoked. He's not that kind of jealous. Their adultery doesn't shame God. Whenever they worship the Queen of Heaven, it's they who are shamed. In Jeremiah chapter 44, we find the people replying to this kind of message. They say, as the word that you have spoken to us in the name of Yahweh, as to that word... We will not listen to you, but we will do everything that we have vowed, make offerings to the Queen of Heaven and pour out drink offerings to her as we did, both we and our fathers, our kings and our officials, in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Did you catch that? All the harmonious language there. For then we had plenty of food and prospered and saw no disaster. When we worshipped her, The land was fruitful and abundant, but no, the worship of the queen of heaven, verse 20, it's clear, is going to bring wrath and destruction. Judah not only worships this idol, she attributes all of God's blessings to that idol. This land was to be an echo of Eden, an anticipation of, of new creation. But instead of a shadow of New creation. Israel now is going to anticipate. Decreation. She's not going to be this picture of the saints. In the new earth. She's going to be a picture of the wicked. And the destruction of this world. His wrath is poured out upon this place. Upon man and beast. Upon trees of the field and fruit of the ground. This flood of his anger consumes all. All that Judah attributes to her idols will be burned up. The worship of the Queen of Heaven is just as destructive today. Those who worship Venus expect fertility, but only receive sterility. We are told today that the feminine is safe. Feminize everything and the world will be safe. No more violence, No more abuse. Everything will be safe. And the result of this is that we're left without fathers. Because our worship of Aphrodite is a rejection of the Father, we are left without fathers. Whenever you reject the Father, the feminine is unprotected. James 1.17 tells us every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. When you reject the Father of lights for the Queen of heaven, ultimately you reject every good and perfect gift. The next section begins with a confusing command, unless you've read your Bible carefully. he tells them to add burnt offerings to their sacrifices and eat the flesh. And then in verse 22, he says, I did not speak to them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices. Make your sacrifices and offerings. I never asked for them. This is why, if you've ever wondered whenever you're reading your Bible and you come to Leviticus and you think, what's with all the detail concerning these sacrifices? This is one instance Where the dictionary of Leviticus makes for an interesting story later on. You see, the the sacrifices, many of those, the offer was to partake of them. But the burnt offering was to be consumed whole on the altar. And so God says, offer up your sacrifices and add a burnt offering to it. And eat it up. Because since you're not worshipping me, you might as well have a barbecue. This might as well amount to something of some use. As the lamb is being wasted as a sacrifice, eat it up. If our baptisms are only about getting the excited wet we might as well turn the baptistry into a hot tub. If we're not about baptizing disciples, portraying the death and resurrection of Christ, if it's just about numbers, if it's just about a show, if it's just about an excitement, turn it into a hot tub so there's some practical use thereof. Many churches are right to replace congregational worship, congregational singing with a Concert. Since worship is far from their heart, it can't be on their lips, so they might as well do something of some value. If we're not going to raise our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we might as well trick out the minivan of the church with the entertainment package so that they're amused as we drive them to hell. If we give our offerings as though they were indulgences, somehow giving us credit to sin we might as well keep it in our bank account and put it towards more idols because it's not serving any other purpose for your soul other than greater damnation. Because such sacrifices are full of idolatry, Judah might as well eat the world whole and quit trying to play religion. And many churches should follow suit The reason they're told to eat up is because God did not command them concerning burnt offerings and sacrifices when He brought them out of Egypt, 722. But isn't the Pentateuch loaded with instruction upon instruction concerning sacrifice? What gives? This is a figure of speech. You find Jesus speaking this way in Matthew, uh, Luke chapter 14 when He says, If anyone comes to Me and does not hate his own Father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. The point is to emphasize the greater over the lesser. Hosea addresses this saying, what, Yahweh addresses this through Hosea saying, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And my judgment goes forth as light. For because I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. That's that word for covenant love and faithfulness. I desire covenant faithfulness. And not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Their love is thin. There's nothing to it, it dissipates. Their sacrifices, you see, do not display covenant fidelity, they display covenant infidelity. Their sacrifices are no picture of covenant loyalty to God, but of covenant unfaithfulness to their idols. The greater command, the essence of the covenant was that they obey His voice. Verse 23. If they do that, He will be their God. They will be His people. They'll walk in the way that He commands and it will be well with them. Under His rule, all is blessed. In this relation of covenant Lord and servant, there's this echo of Eden as His people are blessed under this rule and the land is fruitful and testifies to this. Everything is blessed and very Good. But Judah does not sacrifice in obedience. She sacrifices in disobedience. God commanded them so, but verse 24, Judah didn't obey. She did not incline her ear to God's voice. She didn't walk in the ancient paths where the good way was. She walks in the count in her own counsels, the stubbornness of her own evil heart, verse 24. And in this, God isn't being unreasonable. Complete, absolute, immediate obedience is justly expected. And yet, though that any, anything less than that should be met with an eternal hell, He shows patience and long-suffering, sending His servants, the prophets, to them again and again. But they do not listen. They do not incline their ear. And thus they're worse than their father's. That entire generation that perished in the wilderness because they did not listen. They're worse than them. And so it is that Jeremiah must understand the nature of his calling. Verse 27, You shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall call to them, but they will not answer you. Isaiah received a similar calling. Everyone loves to rehearse Isaiah's calling. When he saw Yahweh high and lifted up, and the train of his robe fills the temple, and the angelic seraphim cry out in antiphony, holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. Everyone loves that part. Very few will rehearse his message. Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. So far we're still following that account. And here's where silence is often met with. And he said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Blind their ears, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and Yahweh removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And so likewise, Jeremiah is to preach to this people unto their destruction so that this condemning sentence will come upon them. This is the nation that did not obey the voice of Yahweh their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It is cut off from their lips, verse 28. A truth can be translated faithfulness. We've seen that before. The idea is that there's no covenant faithfulness upon their lips as they make their vows unto Yahweh, as they take His name upon their lips. In chapter 4 and verse 2, remember, He told Israel to swear as Yahweh lives in truth, in righteousness, and in faithfulness. That's what's lacking here. There's no truth upon their lips, they don't say as Yahweh lives. In truth, they say it as he speaks of in chapter 5 and verse 2. Though they say as Yahweh lives, yet they swear falsely. She takes his name in vain in the most fundamental of senses. She says she is his bride and has all the privileges due thereunto. But he has forsaken her. She no longer has his name. I believe that it's plain that the reason why this generation is said to be worse than the fathers, their fathers, is because she's enjoyed a greater quantity and quality of audio. She's further down the line of God's progressive revelation of His plan of redeeming His people. She has a greater quality audio and she meets it with greater audacity. She enjoys a greater wealth of revelation, matches it with greater abominations. The book of Hebrews speaks to this. It opens telling us of the revelation we've been privileged to hear. Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He's spoken to us by His Son. So it is that the author goes on to tell us in chapter 3 of Hebrews, Take care, brothers, lest there be in, in, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said... Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Every day this is put before us. How will you respond to the voice of Yahweh your God? This is why later He brings these two things together in Hebrews, telling us, if we go on sinning deliberately, after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who sets aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the blood, the Son of God, and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace." For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. So today, many have heard the audio of the blessed gospel of Jesus Christ, and they've met it with the greater audacity of using that as an excuse to sin. This is why Paul said, Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There were people that twist and pervert the gospel towards that end, and he, he answers, By no means. Such a hearing is no hearing. I pray for you. I pray that every soul that gathers with this fellowship, as they hear the gospel, would repent and believe. But especially for those who you've grown up hearing the blessed gospel of Christ, and you've just played church the way Judah plays in the temple, you make your offerings, you take His name upon your lips, you sing these songs, but He is far from you. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart, but repent of your false worship of false gods your true worship of false gods and repent of your false worship of the true God repent not only of your wickedness and your idols repent of the show of love of Jesus that you've been putting on if you've been long on mouth and short on ear cup your mouth like Job did when he saw God in his glory Cease speaking and hear the gospel of Christ. Repent of your sins and take up your cross and follow His Christ. For such that will not hear this command, hear this command. Lament. Verse 29, Cut off your hair and cast it away. Raise the lamentation on the bare heights, for Yahweh has rejected and forsaken the generation of His wrath. Cutting off of the hair and casting it away was an emblem of sorrow and shame. You remember whenever Job suffered, he tore his robe and shaved his head. This is brought out even more when you recognize that the Hebrew word for hair could also be translated crown. They're casting it away. But I think more is involved in this, because the particular word used here also recalls the Nazarite vow. Remember, the Nazarites separated themselves into Yahweh. They were to be especially holy unto the Lord. And all the days that they made this vow, the idea was that they do it for a time. And all the days of their vow, they were to let the hair of their hair, head grow long as an emblem of their being holy unto Yahweh. And so the sense then would be, cut it off. Because you're no longer, and cast it away, you're no longer holy unto the Lord. Like Samson, you've whored with the pagans so much that you are forsaken and abandoned. You're no longer holy unto Yahweh. Judah is to lament because she is rejected and forsaken. She is now referred to as the generation of His wrath. And just in case you're still in doubt as to why, such a sentence would be pronounced upon them. It's, it's rehearsed for us again, but this time in some of the most vivid and stomach-turning of images. Judah has, verse 30, done evil in his sight. Though God sees all, He didn't need to see far, because they set their detestable things in the house that's called by His name. You remember much earlier in their history, Ahaz saw that pagan altar in Damascus and commissioned that a copy of it be made to replace the bronze altar of the Lord in the temple, wicked leaders are still envying the altars of pagans and having replicas built in God's temple, His church. Manasseh did the same thing. In fact, his altars were explicitly built to pagan gods in the temple. 2 Kings 21. And this had clearly resumed... By this point, uh, though Josiah purged the land of all these idols, cleansed the temple, under Zedekiah, 2 Chronicles 36 tells us they polluted the house of Yahweh that he had made holy in Jerusalem. And that statement is followed by these words. Yahweh, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers... Because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they kept mocking the messengers of God. Despising his words and scoffing at the prophets. Until the wrath of Yahweh rose against his people. Until there was no remedy. That's where we are at this point. Ezekiel added the testimony that they defile his sanctuary. With their detestable things and abominations. And. Chapter 8 of Ezekiel, he's allowed to peer in a vision to see deeper and deeper into the temple to the abominations that happen within. And it doesn't get any better if we go outside the temple or outside the city. Whenever we do, we find Topheth, the valley of the son of Hinnom, where they worship Moloch in sacrificing their children unto him. Moloch is still worshipped if you want to see His shrines, they go by the name of Planned Parenthood. It's no surprise that where Ashtoreth is worshipped, Moloch is too. Just as it's no surprise that whenever sex was idolized in America, abortion was legalized. You see, once again, Venus promises fertility, but she delivers death. Because of their evil, detestable acts, these detestable acts, these these abominations, because of all this, three consequences follow. First, because of this wicked abomination, the Valley of Hinnom will be known as the Valley of Slaughter. They will toss corpses there. It will be an open grave. They won't be buried properly. They'll, They'll be buried in this open grave where their bodies are food for the birds of the air and beasts of the earth. This echoes that pronouncement of judgment on the most wicked of kings of Israel, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel, and all his household. Remember, Elijah told them, the dogs shall lick up your blood. He said concerning his household that the birds of the heavens will eat them. This is also how Goliath taunted David. He would give his body to the birds of the heavens. And David returned the favor, saying, not only you, but the host of the Philistines. The idea was that this was an image of being cursed. Just how cursed is brought out in this. In Deuteronomy 21-23, we're told that anyone hanged on a tree is cursed. But there, their instructions given that he's not to remain hanging there overnight. You're to take his body down and bury him. This is to be cursed beyond being cursed. This is exactly what God told them would happen if they were disloyal to the covenant. Deuteronomy 28. Your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and there shall be no one to frighten them away. But perhaps in grasping what's happening here, it'd most vividly come to you this way. You might not be that familiar with the valley of the son of Hinnom, but you are more likely knowledgeable of the Greek word that Jesus used in reference to this very place. Gehenna. It's the word he used, son of Hinnom, Gehenna. It's the word that he used to describe, speak of hell in places like Matthew 10 28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So, this place of horrendous ceremony is to be transformed into a hellish cemetery. This picture of hell. Second, because Judah has not listened, God silences them. Verse 34 of chapter 7. He will silence all sounds of mirth and gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. Weddings would be these times of anticipated great celebration, anticipated fruitfulness. And you see once again, the land is laid waste. There's not the voice of weddings. Once again, the queen of heaven fails them. And third, all the bones of the officials, the kings, the priests, the prophets, even the inhabitants of Jerusalem are not allowed to rest in honor. So we see the grave of the slain. now we see exhumed the bones of of those who have been dead. And in this, it's not just Judah who's humiliated. It's the gods. They're spread before the sun and the moon, the host of heaven. Those that they've loved and worshipped and whored after. And they can do nothing. Nothing. You remember, the men of Jabesh Gilead were commended by David because they took the body of Saul and his sons and buried them. And then David later took those bones and had them placed in the tomb of Kish, Saul's father. This respect and honor shown to them. No such respect is given to these bones. They're counted as dung on the ground. And the result of this judgment is that death is preferred to life. As they're under the wrath of God, they would rather die than live. And the saddening thing that many experienced was that upon death, they did not escape His wrath. They only entered more fully into it. God has spoken. He spoke in His creation, and all was blessed and very good. But man did not listen to the law of Yahweh, and he was cursed. And yet, God speaks again in, red- in redemption. But man hardens his heart even further. And does not listen to the word of the gospel of Christ. And God will speak again, therefore. In wrath and in judgment. And man will be made to listen such as our sin that we cannot hear we will not hear ours is not a physical inability it's a moral inability the problem isn't that we cannot read his word or understand it in some intellectual sense the problem is our heart hates it we don't want to hear We are so in bondage to our sins that we are deaf. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When man rebelled against Yahweh, he died spiritually and dead men cannot hear. Jesus told the Jews, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you're not of God. And in that statement, there's both condemnation and salvation. Left to ourselves, we cannot hear, we're not of God. But here's the hope those who are of God hear. How does one become of God? And the answer is it's of God. It's completely of God. Because there's yet another way that He speaks. There's not simply the general call of the gospel that goes out to all who hear the preached word. There is the effectual call of the Father therein where He says, Light! Where there was only darkness and there's light. Where He says, Life! And the dead come out of the tombs. And the deaf are made to hear. Their hearts of stone are removed. They're replaced with a heart of flesh. They believe. They listen. They trust. And they obey the word of God as it is the word of Christ. Saints, do you see the sin you are saved from? Do you see the hell? You are delivered from. Once you did not listen, but God made you to hear, not in judgment, but in grace. How sweet the shepherd's voice to those sheep he's made to hear. He once said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. He also said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Because he's spoken so. May we listen and then may we speak. May all of our lives be, as it were, an open ear of obedience. And then, may we sing forth His praises to all. Let's pray. Father, simply pray that having heard Your Word, we would, having heard it by Your grace... Sing, proclaim, declare your praise, not just with our mouths, but with the lives, with our lives, lives of obedience. In Christ's name, I ask this, for His glory. Amen.